Let me live, love, and say it well in good sentences. Sylvia Plath in the Unabridged Journals of Sylvia Plath. Hey everyone, and welcome to the only writing podcast you will ever need. I'm Garrett. Sorry, isn't this the last writing podcast we'll ever need? No, I don't really think so. That suggests that we'll be the last podcast made about writing ever. I mean, that would look pretty good for us, though. I don't know, it's kind of a lofty assumption. We're from the Saginaw Valley State University. I mean, I don't know. I could be optimistic. Good thing I'm accustomed to failure. <laughs> you don't need to bring that up right now. But... Yeah, well... All right, everyone, enough of the shenanigans. Welcome to the only writing podcast you will ever need. I'm Garrett. And I'm Bree. And if you can believe this, you're listening to a podcast about writing tips. Yeah, and if you can believe it, we're getting paid for this. Each episode, we will discuss writing in a creative way and hopefully give you guys some good pointers. All right, please keep listening. I need to support myself through college. Please, we need the money so bad. All right, so after enough trial and error we're finally into the recording of this episode yes how do you feel um i'm feeling good now that we're actually recording (laughs) but it was touch and go there for a while so that's that's completely fair um how's how's your first week of classes been going going okay uh lots and lots of reading as i have three english classes in a row because i am that secondary english major um uh it's just, you know, getting into the rhythm of everything again. And, you know, yeah. <laughs> That's fair. Placing future bets on if we stay in person. Oh, God. My no. odds are, um, it's like a one in 10 chance that we, uh, we make it through the semester. I don't even I don't even want to really think about that. I hope to God that we don't end up having to at the very least i hope that if we're gonna go like kind of online i'd rather it be like a hybrid thing versus us going completely online and quarantining again because uh i'm very bad at online learning like super horrible at it i don't know some people are like i love it it's like my favorite thing i don't have to go to people i don't have to see people and it's like that's great i wish i had that you know like confidence and ability yeah you know it as much as as much as sometimes going to class can be tedious, it's it's so much better than just sitting there in an Echo three sixty meeting or a a Zoom meeting, just watching your professor walk around in a lonely classroom. Like it's it's probably probably for the better that we stay in class, but like I'm hoping I'm hoping I don't catch COVID in this. Yeah, me too. But I've also heard that the new variant is really like like it it doesn't it's not like killing anybody necessarily it's 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 less like um it's more cold-esque like you you feel crappy for a few days and then you feel better and you're like oh okay and then but like that's the thing of it is it's so contagious that it's like kind of back toward the beginning where it's like oh if you think you have a little cold you might actually you know be spreading a disease around (laughs) yeah um what english classes are you taking this semester i am taking 312 313 and 307 so 307 is ethnic literature. We're focusing specifically on Native American literature, which is pretty neat. Uh, 313 is, I think, English like literature from 1865-ish to the present day. And then 312 is kind of like like 1600 like 1660 to about 1865. So I'm like finishing out all of those surveys. 
those English surveys that all of the English majors will know about out there that I got to do. It's fair. What, what, what type of stuff are you reading? Uh, currently I'm reading, we're reading a dystopian fiction for 313 right now called The Morrow Thieves by Cherie Dimeline. It's about, um, like first nation peoples from, uh, Canada in this dystopian future trying to like run away from the government because the government's going to try and like physically kill them for their dreams and stuff. It's kind of interesting. And then we're um, just getting into like anthology stuff for the other one for that too. So it's just like a mix of everything. I'll be reading Moby Dick though this semester and I've heard that's dense. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. How many books do you have this semester in total? 12. I wish. (laughs) I absolutely, I just How many wish. Do you have? 23. Oh my God. And like, oh no, I, I'm like, I was like, at the bookstore, I'm like, I'm the stupid idiot that gets all of these. And like, I, I can't go to a class and be like, I'm only going to get some of the books because we're not going to use them all. Like, I'm not that type of student. But so I'm like, there's no way I'm actually going to read all 23 of these books. Oh, there is a way. <laughs> there is a way. There's absolutely a way. Cover to cover, I'm gonna read all 23 of them, <laughs> and it's it's exciting. I'm I'm super jazzed about it. Are I, you? Um, I cannot wait to read the uh, poems of Anne Sexton. I can't wait to read um, the according to Dr. Daniel Cook the uh, <laughs> the cool stuff from the uh, collections of Robert Frost. Did not know that that existed. I'm. Um, <laughs> Hey, no listen. shame to Robert Frost. Please don't roll over in your grave. Um, <laughs> two two roads diverged at a yellow wood. <laughs> hey, listen, listen. I that poem has cultural significance to the outsiders. It <laughs> is near and dear to some people's hearts who love that book. Not so much the movie because the movie's kind of bad. <laughs> if you've read the book first, stay gold, pony boy. <laughs> We're not going to get into that, you know, heartbreaking moment today. Um, I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be real. I was a fan of the movie. I really liked it. Okay, so the movie is good. I the movie's good. It's just I read the book before I watched the movie, and so much stuff was just like not really that great. I guess. Like, I don't know. I feel like there's just certain parts that they left out of in the movie that provided a little more context mm-hmm. in the terms of, like, everybody. Also, uh, the characterization of Ponyboy and Johnny is interesting because it really makes Johnny look like he's the youngest kid of the group when it is Ponyboy. Like, and I know partially that's because Johnny is, like softer quote-unquote than the rest of them but like he is older but even the actor who plays pony boy looks older than the actor who played johnny i'm gonna so keep it 100 with you i haven't read the outsiders since i was 13 years old i am oh, now, yeah, same. I'm now <laughs> but 22. i liked it a lot <laughs> i i i only remember stay gold going stay gold pony boy stay cold pony boy. <laughs> stay cold Get out there and shiver, boy. (laughs) 
I only remember that line because we watched the uh, YouTube torrented version in my eighth grade English class of the movie. <laughs> um, and, and I just remember that scene and I was just like, this is so confusing. I have read the whole book and I'm like, what is going on in this movie? You forgot that Johnny just straight up dies. Spoilers if you've never watched or read The Outsiders, I guess. But it's been out for decades. Both Fair of enough. What? Just because we're on the topic, before we get into our uh, main part of this episode, I, what did you read for your eighth grade like English class? Like what what type of books? So we read. I can remember. Okay, so for Outsiders, I specifically chose it. We had a list that we could choose for because we had like a project to do specifically for that. So I chose The Outsiders for that. And that's probably why I remember it so well because I was like, ooh, I know there's a movie about this and I really want to like read it. Um... I think we also read uh, Hunger Games. Yeah, we went over Hunger Games. Um, we read the Diaries of Anne Frank. And we also... There's a couple other books we did. And I can't quite remember what they were. I, I'm not going to lie to you, dude. I have the majority of middle school and high school repressed and i just don't remember anything it's like flashes here and there yeah i think we we definitely read um the outsiders because i remember watching the movie like i remember that distinctly Mm -hmm. um i know we also read milkweed Um, i haven't read that yet that's about um it's one of those like historical fiction about the uh holocaust and um I remember Flowers for Algernon. Read oh, that. no. No, I read that in seventh grade. <laughs> we we, had to wa- so we also got to watch the movie. Oh, Incredible. That also hurt. <laughs> um, that was when I first discovered who Ray Bradbury was. And little did I know as the little 13-year-old <laughs> that Ray Bradbury would never leave me. He would never leave me alone from every year onward. I would read something from Ray Bradbury. And so what's your favorite Ray, Ray Bat Bradbury book then? Fahrenheit 451, baby. That is <laughs> such a good book. And it is so funny to me to just like think about what Ray Bradbury thought the future would be. And he's like, I'm going to put some clamshells in my ears because I don't have to listen to other humans. And all these rooms are three walls and they all just have just screens on them and stuff like that. And I'm like, Ray Bradbury, did you not know that everything you're saying is true? (laughs) I do put clamshells in my ears to not listen to people. I do look at three walls because there's screens on them. I think, I think that's like a similar feeling with like, um, even 1984, like, that's still one of my favorite books to this day. It's definitely an interesting book. I'd have to say for Orwell, I prefer Animal Farm over 1984. That's I haven't like actually read Animal Farm cover to cover. I've read like parts just because like, it's, uh, it's interesting. (laughs) Talk about how communism's horrible. (laughs) That's the main gist of it. It's speaking of eighth grade English. I wrote a, that was the first time I wrote a research paper, and I remember all my sources were Wikipedia. Um, every single <laughs> one was the Wikipedia um, like cover page for a specific topic. I wrote a, <laughs> um, I wrote like a five page paper, which in eighth grade you're like, this is the longest thing I've ever written. I'm I know, never right? going to do this again. And you had to cite all your sources in MLA, and I'm like, none of this is correct. Um, but I remember writing a. Um, 
research paper on like the roots of socialism <laughs> and little did i know that comrade garrett was coming out <laughs> of the woodworks at 13 <laughs> the beginnings of comrade garrett <laughs> exactly so nice. since we're kind of talking about my eighth grade my eighth grade um my eighth grade english research paper would you mind reading us our prompt for today absolutely so today's prompt uh is a doozy it's a great one if we if this was a youtube channel we would have you guys argue argue about this in the comments and we would laugh um not so clickbait <laughs> not clickbait so our uh prompt for today is should you stay um sorry should what you say on your social media platforms be grounds to be fired from your job in a five uh paragraph essay which is decently short in all honesty um so we both have outlines if you guys are new and you don't know how this works we both have outlines of this prompt and how it's gonna work and garrett do you mind starting us off with your prompt sure so i think just before we hop into our our outlines i think we should just kind of discuss broadly like what we're trying to do here what what type of prompt this is so like when we were coming up with the prompt for this episode, we were kind of narrowing ourselves down to argumentative prompts, which yes. arguably, although we are in college, argumentative writing is something that you learn from an early age, like already in middle school, you're starting to learn how oh, to yeah. write argumentative essays. But that's something that like is really key in school to pay attention to, because once you get to college, almost everything you're writing, you need to take a stance. That's when you start learning about what a thesis statement is. That's something that will never leave you. Like almost everything <laughs> it you will write, haunt your dreams, everything guys. you write will have some form of a thesis statement. So for this, we're just writing argumentative essays. We said five paragraph in college. It's most often just going to be a five page paper about yeah. this, but Ultimately, our outlines are probably going to take very similar shapes, and we're just trying to show you two different ways to approach an argumentative prompt like this, which, plot twist, you're still going to see in your like first year English classes in college. English, like you're, depending on what school you go to, English 101, English 111, you're still getting prompts like this. Sometimes it'll take on a different form, but this is just kind of our, um, our way to show you. So... Let's dive into my outline. Absolutely. I'm excited to hear about it. So when I was thinking about it, I always structure my papers in a way where the introduction almost has nothing to do with the prompt itself. <laughs> it's like loosely related, but my introduction and my conclusion are trying to like relate my paper topic to the outside world, which okay. for a prompt like this is kind of... It's kind of easy because it's kind of making you related to the outside world. Oh, yeah. But for like if we're talking about other prompts, like where you're supposed to take a text in art, like tell someone like what this paper is arguing or something like that. Yeah. Um, that's usually my thought process behind it. But in this case, I was just um, I was just like trying to relate what you're saying on your social media platforms to the first amendment. Cause that's usually, that's usually where people go and people complain about like getting fired for posting something spicy on their Facebook wall. Um, something spicy. They, they're usually like you're infringing upon my first amendment rights. And in a way, the accent. <laughs> in a way you, you might be, you might be having your first amendment rights <laughs> infringed upon, but 
<clears throat> I'm going to read for my introduction. My introduction actually is based entirely on the language of the First Amendment and talking about like what that actually means. All right, cool. Um, so the First Amendment, I would literally quote the direct language, which Amendment 1 of the Constitution of the United States from 1789 says... <laughs> Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof or abridging the freedom of speech or of the press or the right of the people peace, peaceably to assemble and to petition the government for a redress of grievances. So what I'm also drawing upon in this introduction is my own experience as someone who um, almost went into law so i took a oh. class i took a class on constitutional law and i also just remember this lesson from my high school government class about right. how while Civics. the wow exactly while the first amendment does protect your first amendment or your freedom of speech there are limits there is hate speech that cannot be tolerated and there is like there are certain levels of which the supreme court has decided you cannot like you can't cross this line. Um, but the other thing that has become much more popular in like our modern time to talk about when like referring to the free, like freedom of speech is you are completely free to say whatever you want, but what you aren't free from free from is the consequences. So that's where I'm going with my, like um, with my discussion of the first amendment is that right. while <laughs> you can argue that you are able to say whatever you want you can say all these different things what you have to remember is that while you can say them people can say whatever they want back people can do whatever they want back like with limits they can't kill you that's how we but, have internet trolls baby but yeah so <laughs> after discussing like the language of the first amendment and the meaning of it i dive into my thesis which is verbatim <laughs> Despite the Bill of Rights protecting the freedom of speech in the United States, an employer is not infringing upon this right by firing an employee from their job. And that's where I'll transition into my first body paragraph, where I just discuss how social media has the option of being public or private. Mm -hmm. And my argument is that if you're saying whatever you want on a public social media page, you're ultimately just kind of saying it to your employer directly, like without um without like covering up or like making your profile private if you're making some sort of complaint or something or just talking about how your boss sucks or like saying something along the lines that like like attacks one of your coworkers on online that is very similar to just harassment in mm -hmm. in its yeah. own right yeah. so like my kind of moral or my other argument here is like if you're not going to say it to your employer directly why would you say it out in the public on your private social or on your public social media page and then like to add the counter argument because that's something that you always want to do in an essay like this is kind of address the counter argument yeah. i do just kind of address even with this argument that like if you're if your profile's private there is an issue right like if someone if someone is taking your private posts and going and showing your employer, then there is grounds for people to be like, Hey, yeah, that's a little, that's a little tough. Um, but yeah. So then I, I tran, um, I transition into my second argument, which is despite your opinion on like cancel culture or wokeism, yeah. your employer is still 
running a business and still has a brand to uphold. Yes. So like and if as you're, an employee, you also have to uphold that brand. It's part of your training for most like corporate oh, yeah. corporate places where they tell you like like obviously certain corporate companies don't let you have facial piercings, don't let you have your ears pierced like while you're at work, things like that. That's a whole other topic we can get into. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) But like, if you're saying something that challenges that brand publicly and for other people who may not work at your place, who may be customers of the, your place of work or may like be patrons who come to your place of work often. If you're saying something that challenges that brand, you can't expect to not face repercussions. Like ultimately, like it's something that you need to be prepared for. And like, part of like the other like going down different parts of my argument because when you're making these paragraphs you want to have like your main argument your topic sentence and then just have a couple of smaller pieces of evidence um that attach to your main argument there so i said like also an employee should be well aware of what their company stands for and if that doesn't meet your personal philosophy you have to come to terms with like should i still be working here can i can i just take this and like do do what i can to not like make these two ideals come at odds or should I just not be working here? Right. Exactly. Um, Cause that's always a choice is like, it is ultimately your own choice to stay at this job, depending on, you know, if you don't agree with the ideals that people are putting in place. And it's kind of funny to me how people forget that. <laughs> fair. Like a lot. And then like, just like a, something, something that I like added to the bottom. Like if you're working for, if you're employed and being paid by a nonprofit that ad- addresses like racist issues, like issues of race in America and you're posting racist stuff on your Facebook wall and you're like, they're infringing upon my rights. No, you are working for a company that addresses these issues and you're actively involving yourself in these issues. So you you're can't act- expect to keep your job. You're, yeah, you're actively proving that you don't actually have the same values as the place where you work. So therefore, begs the question, why did you start working there in the first place? Fair. And then I, I transitioned my my third body paragraph, which I decided was just going to completely address the counter argument where like, since I'm kind of basing my entire argument about how like the free freedom of speech does have a a set of limits or like even if you're not limited in what you can say you are not free from consequence yeah um i address like the counter argument where um there are things your employer can't fire you for even if you are posting them on social media like one of them is you can't your employer is not allowed to fire you if you are um posting factual evidence about workplace conditions unless there is like a part of your contract that says you can't do that if you're just posting about workplace conditions you are okay with that if you are whistleblowing for yourself like if you were harassed if you post about that on social media your employer cannot fire you again unless there is a stipulation in your contract and then if you are encouraging other employees to join a union or to um seek help from a lawyer for their issues they can't fire you but ultimately at the end of the day the argument is still your your words do have consequences and just because they can't fire you doesn't mean they can't make your your life horrible while at work yeah um but that's kind of those are kind of the three main arguments i was making and then like in my conclusion i i just kind of i got lazy and i was like just repeat the thesis and appeal to emotion well i mean and it's an outline too keep in mind listeners this is like us discussing what an outline for an essay for this would look like it's not like we typed up a whole essay essay and i'm going to be giving garrett a a, a grade which i mean 
actually could be good practice for me since I'm going to be an English teacher, but um, <laughs> it's more of us just tossing ideas around of what an, what an outline for an essay would look like and, you know, how could you approve about it? Sorry, just had to add that disclaimer. <laughs> Fair enough. But ultimately, that is my outline for this essay prompt. Nice. And so, yeah, I, I think you did a really good job with, like, setting up your ideas and everything of like your topic sentences and how um you have a counter argument because argumentative essays don't necessarily always need a counter argument a lot of the time your professors will like you to at least address a counter argument but like most essays especially at like high school level and entry and entry college level don't really need you to go into it like they do with debates like if you were ever in a debate club i was in like a debate club kind of low-key sort of it was like an extra hour of school and i was in debate for a minute um and like in a debate specifically you have to address the counter argument and you have to go into detail about your counter argument even though your person you're debating is doing the same thing you have to address it and then bring it back to your own thing um it's like a big section of it um so for my outline, I chose the same thing, actually. Uh, not exactly the same thing, but I agreed that, yes, you should be held responsible for what you say on social media. So my intro um, verbatim says, in today's day and age where everyone has a computer in their hands, social media is very prevalent in our society. While it is a way to communicate with others worldwide, it comes with its own set of consequences should things get out of hand. Um and basically, that just kind of goes into the fact that I agree that there are consequences to your actions. Uh, my second paragraph topic is about how, yes, most um, companies in today's society either have you kind of sign of sign an agreement or actually sign a complete contract, if it's not just like a kind of agreement, that you on social media as an employee are representing your company. So... You have to, like, um, you have to be able to represent yourself well on social media in a way that benefits the company and benefits yourself as a person. Um, usually there's a unspoken thing of, like, you don't really tag your company unless it's good news. Um, you don't want to post things that are against your company or, like, specifically advertising for your competitors, uh, things like that. Um, it saves the company's reputation as well as kind of your own. Um, I put down for part of my evidence that, you know, I work at Meyer and I had that come up in my training. Like, oh, if I'm going to tag Meyer in something, it has to be specifically something very entry level. Like I can tag Meyer in sales that we have going on. If I decide to post on Facebook, I can tag Meyer in, um, I could tag one of my coworkers and say how they're doing a good job, you know, things like that. Um, but if I'm, you know, like the big thing was like, oh, don't share like Walmart stuff because, you know, like Walmart's Meyer's biggest competitor in our area um, and things like that. So it's just like, you know, you have to, um, you really have to be mindful of yourself on social media, basically. My second talking point is, again, most companies have a no harassment policy, a no harassment policy, sorry, and that means no cyberbullying. Um, if you are 
you know, posts can get heated, especially if you get into controversial topics online. That's why we have like the whole Twitter feuds and stuff. And we have, you know, a bunch of things happening online that, you know, even like actors and big name people are getting canceled for, for things that they've said in the past that have been, you know, resurfaced to be problematic. It's because, you know, in our day and age, it's 2022, guys, we all should not be racist to each other or, you know, just bad in general to each other. Um, so even though a lot of those people who will make those offensive posts and who will say bad things about their company even will do like you did claim their first their constitutional right of oh well i have the right to free speech it's like yes yes you do you have the right to your opinion you have the right to free speech but you also are held responsible for the consequences of your actions you have to deal with the consequences that come from what you say you know, you choose to say something super racist and homophobic, or you choose to harass your other coworkers on social media, you have to be prepared, prepared to deal with the fact that people are going to find out that you said this because a screen does not protect you on a public social media platform. People are going to find out about it. They will talk to your employers about it. And if your employers find out about it, it can be taken to HR and HR will deal with you accordingly because you're not properly representing your company. And that's kind of where I go into paragraph four of we're all adults here. The majority of us are, at least. And I kind of have the quote verbatim of if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say anything at all. Like, that's something that we're all taught as children is that if you have negative comments and you're aware it's a negative comment, you should not be telling it aloud to people. You know, just be smart (laughs) be smart about what you're posting on social media and i kind of just have twitter (laughs) on here because again twitter is a place where a lot of people just think that they can post kind of whatever they want to and it's you know partially people post things really really bad and then there's also the counter argument of that is there are also people who are so desperate to prove themselves as good people that they kind of like go through Twitter feeds looking for the receipts on people's Twitter feeds of like problematic things they could have said. And it can come down to the fact that some people will grasp at straws to try and, you know, cancel somebody just because, oh, one thing they said is bad. So we're going to go back all the way through this Twitter feed of this one person, like a video essayist, Lindsay Ellis had a whole video addressing the fact that she got canceled on Twitter because she, um, she made a post that was supposed to be sarcastic and everybody took it as she was being racist or something like that. I don't quite remember exactly what it was, but she, she in a video went through her receipts that people were posting and explaining her receipts. And when she said things that were bad, she was like, yes, I know that I shouldn't have done this. That's part, that's why I tried to delete the comment like afterward, things like that. But the majority of her stuff was just people taking it out of context And so that's kind of where the counter argument of woke culture and cancel culture can be problematic in that if you're looking for any reason to cancel somebody for one thing they've done wrong, especially if they have come out with an apology for that and have shown the behavior to try and rectify those actions, then you shouldn't cancel them over that. But if somebody is very problematic, has never taken any responsibility for anything they've ever said, then yes, they deserve to face the repercussions of their actions because nothing that you say here in this country is without consequence especially in a social media platform like twitter where everybody around the world can see it 
And then my cl- conclusion just kind of went back over all of those reasons. Fair enough. I think I think our essays are very similar and our outlines are very similar. They're following very similar like guidelines that we've learned in our time in schools. Yeah. But one thing I think that neither of us like directly said but should be mentioned is that all of your topic sentences or your arguments that you're using to make your body paragraphs in an essay like this should relate back to your thesis. Um, And you can do that at any point during, during like the paragraph, like you can just kind of mention it or just like loosely make sure you're following that same, same like idea. Cause like, even when you're addressing the counter argument, you want to make sure that you're not making it look like you're being like, yeah, the counter argument is directly right. Like it's, yeah, absolutely. It, it's more right than me. Like you need to make sure that you're saying like, while some of these are valid, like here's what I have to disprove them. But other than that, I think we got it pretty good. Um, yep. Other than that, do you have anything else to say before we uh, take off today? Um, not really like, especially not to say necessarily about this, uh, this like kind of prompt um like i guess the other thing i could add is that like a lot of the times when professors will give you these types of prompts they are they are subjective and that is you know why you include your counter argument is because a lot of a lot of the times when you have argumentative essays you can see sides for both um for both arguments um so just keep that in mind that uh you know if especially if you have a very subjective topic, it is okay to kind of somewhat take a middle ground, but generally your professors will be looking for a substantial, I lean more this way versus that way at least. Um, and as long as you make that, you know, known to, known in your essay and make that clear, then, you know, it's a good time. Yeah. And with that, that's going to be the conclusion of today's episode of the only writing podcast you'll ever need. More episodes are available wherever you find your podcast. And please consider subscribing on your favorite listening sites and feel free to leave us a review. Um, And with that, we'll see you next week. You never have to challenge anything you got up in the middle of the night to write. Saul Bellow.